I want us to go straight into God's Word to Genesis chapter 28. And we'll read a few verses together. Uh, I'm going to be reading from verse 10 and following. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. And so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. And also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Jacob was in a hard place. The situation was rather bleak. Esau, his twin brother, had threatened to kill him because he stole his birthright. And at his mother's insistence, he took a 500-mile journey from Beersheba, where he lived, to Padanaram to stay with his uncle Laban. And so all alone with the clothes on his back and with just a few provisions in his pack, he set out on this journey, not knowing what his future held. Uh, how long would this season last? His mother said a few days. Uh, would it be days, weeks, months? Actually, it was 20 years. 20 years before he ever could go home again. And for this stay-at-home boy, which is what Jacob was, uh, this was a long, difficult journey fraught with danger. Uh, wild animals and bandits roamed this region. And so this was not what he was thinking whenever he stole that birthright. He never saw this in his plans. And so... He wasn't much of a man with a bow and arrow. He wasn't like his brother Esau, who was a hunter. Uh, he was the stay-at-home type. Uh, and so you can see how difficult this would be. He, he, he assumed his brother would be following him, trying to kill him. And so it would be, be a fearful time and, and not a little despondent. And so in that situation, after he had gone about three days, uh, he was weary and tired and he lay down on the earth. Uh, to catch somebody to sleep. And so here is Jacob, physically weary, emotionally drained, with a cold earth for his bed, a hard stone for his pillow, and he lies down and falls asleep. But in that sleep, God gives him an incredible, unbelievable dream, a, a dream of a, of a ladder, a stairway that reached from earth to heaven. And, and on that stairway, he saw the the mighty angels of God ascending and descending upon it. And God would give him promises for his future and even that he would go back to his home again. But 
he saw these mighty angels and, and God includes this in the scripture so that we understand too that there's continual traffic, angelic traffic between heaven and earth and between earth and heaven. It's going on all the time beyond our natural sight. Now, I want you to notice verse 16 and 17 particularly. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. But it's those words, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. At his most difficult, most depressing, and the most darkest, the most dangerous moment in his life, God was with him. And God's angels were there. Amen. He didn't know that. He couldn't see that. There was nothing in the atmosphere to tell him that was happening. There was nothing in the natural that he could see or feel or hear would indicate to him that anything that was going on. It's only when he got that dream. It's only when God opened his eyes that he could see literally angels ascending and descending upon this great ladder, this stairway into heaven. I think that's like us many times. We lie down on a cold bed of difficulty. We put our head on a stone pillow of unsolved and seemingly irreconcilable problems. And at that moment, we fail to see that God is working on our behalf. Behind the scenes of our lives that we can't see, God is already working. God's angels, those ministering spirits, as the Bible calls them in Hebrews 1.14, Angels of God are sent to minister for those who are heirs of salvation. That's us. And so all this is going on behind the scenes of our lives and we fail to see it. And we too could say, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Often because of the pressures and the stresses and life and setbacks and illnesses and disappointments and heartaches, we fail to see that in the midst of all of that, God is still working out things on our behalf. Glory to God. He's always working when we don't feel it, when we don't see it, when we don't know it. It doesn't stop heaven working on our behalf. There's a thick veil of this natural world that separates us from the, the spirit world. There's a thick veil of natural material things that we live in and live with and live around. And that blocks what we can, what's behind the scenes of our lives. But once in a while, maybe God opens our eyes. We read the scriptures and it lets us know that behind that thick veil of the, this natural life, there's a life beyond this life that's very much alive, that's more real than this life. This life is passing. It's transient. It's mortal. It will pass away. But that out there will never pass away. It's forever. And it's continuous. Whether we see it or feel it or not, it's there. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's this wonderful account of Elisha, the great prophet, and his young servant. And in 2 Kings 6, reading from verse 8, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there. 
not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called the servants and said to them, Will you show me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, where's the spy in the camp? Somebody's telling tales on me. One of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And so he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? The young man could only see with these natural eyes. That's all he saw. All he could see was the armies of Syria surrounding the whole city and their great chariots. This was a warring nation. That's all he could see. But the prophet could see beyond that. The prophet could see more. And that's why the young man said, Alas, what can we do? We're done for. How can we handle this? It's too much for us. The problem's too great. But look what happens. So Elisha answered and said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Glory to God. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. He's not seeing what I'm seeing. He can't see it, Lord. You show it to me, but he can't see it. He's looking through natural eyes. Lord, open his spiritual eyes that he may see what I'm seeing. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Glory to God. Suddenly he could see beyond the veil of this natural world and he saw God's mighty angelic hosts surrounding the armies of Syria and who was with them? The host of hell was with them but the host of heaven outnumbered them and surrounded them and suddenly he could see and he wasn't saying, Alas, Master, what can we do? Suddenly he was overjoyed and he was thrilled to see that God was in control. Now before he saw that, he could have been like Jacob. He could have said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. I couldn't see it. I couldn't feel it. I couldn't sense it. But the prophet of God knew. And God opened his eyes. In Daniel chapter uh, 10, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. That was his captivity name. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. And in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till these three whole weeks were fulfilled. So he was on this partial fast for three weeks. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, his waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz, his body was like beryl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his voice, sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. 
And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. They didn't see anything, but they felt something. They sensed something, and it frightened them. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty within me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep in my face, with my face to the ground. And suddenly a hand touched me, made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I now have been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. This prince of the kingdom of Persia was a great demonic spirit, a ruling spirit. And Paul talks about them principalities and powers, wickedness in the high places and heavenly places. This is one of them, ruling over that area controlling it and that's still happening today there are demonic spirits who control certain areas there's nations who are warring nations who are wicked where do you think that comes from who influences that these demonic spirits but the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days and behold Michael one of the chief princes came to help me for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. And when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength, for how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is there any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. And so he spoke to me and I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. And he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is, not, what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. And so here is uh, Daniel. He's in this fasting period. He's seeking God. He's desperate to get answers from the Lord. And 21 days passes. And it seems the heavens are as brass. He's getting no answer. Nothing's happening, seemingly. Until this angel arrives and said, Daniel, from the very first day that you prayed, God heard your prayer and he sent me with the answer. But, but I was withheld from you by these great demonic spirits. And in the end, I had to call for Michael, the warring angel, to come to my assistance to get through to you to give you this answer. That was probably Gabriel. Maybe that was the messenger angel. 21 days, he prayed and fasted and heard nothing and seen nothing and felt nothing. But after 21 days, God broke through and the answer came. 
And that shows us again that behind the scenes of our lives, you know, sometimes God withholds our prayers because we're not ready for the answer. Sometimes the answer is not ready for us either. Sometimes it has to be the right, well, always it has to be the right moment at the right time. But sometimes, sometimes it's not that. Sometimes the answer is being held up. There's a, a battle in the heavenly places that we cannot see that's beyond our natural eyes like we see here. But in the end, God breaks through and the answer comes. And Daniel got his answer. Uh, God said, from the very first day that you prayed that, I heard your prayer and now I've come for your words. That was the message from the angel. In Mark chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's being tempted 40 days by the devil. And there he is in the wilderness. And we said a couple of weeks ago, and he was with the wild beasts. But it also says, and the angels ministered unto him. The angels ministered unto him. Now, if you had been a goat herder taking your flock past that area where Jesus was in the wilderness, all you would see was this lonely man, the solitary figure. You wouldn't see the devil tempting him. You wouldn't see the angels ministering unto him. You'd just see a lonely, single, solitary man. And you would think, what's he doing here? Why is he here? He's all alone. But he wasn't all alone. Because the angels of God surrounded him and were ministering unto him. Glory to God. In Luke 22, Jesus is praying in the garden. You know, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. But if not... Let your will be done, not mine. And he sweated, as it were, great drops of blood. This was a very difficult, tense, pressurized time in his life just before the cross. And all hell is raging against him. And he's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And it says then, and an, and an angel came and ministered unto him. I wonder how an angel does that. I wonder how an angel ministers unto the Son of God doesn't tell us but I can only have a guess that maybe he said something maybe he said do you know you, you win this you win this victory at Calvary it'll change the world when you win this victory at Calvary millions of people is going to follow you from here on out you win this victory at Calvary all heaven's going to rejoice maybe that's maybe he encouraged him to keep on to push through to press through do this this is the father's will keep at it you're going to win this battle I don't know I'm just speculating but he must have done something or said something because he ministered unto Jesus the angel you say David you're mentioning angels a lot today well don't become fixated with angels uh, I mean the chances of seeing any in this lifetime is probably about zero you may you may somebody may and that's fine but the chances are we're not to be looking for them we're not to be searching for them we're not to be praying that we'll see them no no but be aware that they're there. At all times, they're there to minister for those who are heirs of salvation. God has got a specific job for them in our lives. So be aware of that without seeking after them because we cannot worship angels. We can only worship the Lord himself. In John chapter 1, uh, and just a couple of weeks ago, we, we preached on uh, about Nazareth, you know, leaving, uh, sorry, leave. I... Uh, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? 
And, and in John chapter 1, just referring back to that, there's something here that uh, I, I really want to uh, bring out to you. You remember how that Philip, after he found Jesus, he went to his good friend Nathaniel, and he says, Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah, the one we've been looking for, we have found him, Jesus of Nazareth. Ha! Huh. And he wasn't happy with that, sure he wasn't. Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, well, come and see. Reserve judgment, just come and see. Let me introduce you to him. And how that he came to Jesus, and Jesus said, for Nathaniel ever spoke a word, Jesus said, behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. There's no guile. He says, how do you know me? He says, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Now in that last message, I, I said this, and it's true, that Philip and Nathaniel were godly, godly men. Men who sought God. Men who read the scriptures. Men who would be seeking the Messiah to come. They'd lived for that, hoping that in their day that Messiah would come. But how would he come? When would he come? What would he be like? How would he show up? And so I believe that, that Nathaniel and Philip, when they got together, those would be the things they'd be talking about, about Messiah coming. And, and I'm sure when he was under that fig tree, these would be the things he'd be meditating. He'd be reading the scriptures. He'd be meditating on these things. But what did he actually, what was he actually thinking at that moment under the fig tree? Well, I, I think we're going to find out. Old Henry Morris makes a comment on this, and I think it's really good. You remember... Jacob back there 2,000 years prior to this and he had that dream and he, and he saw the angels ascending and descending upon that great stairway from earth to heaven. So how, how is God how is God going to connect? He's in heaven, we're on earth. He's a holy God, we're sinful men. How is God going to make that connection? What ladder, what stairway from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven is he going to use? None other than his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one and only mediator between men and God. There is no other mediator. There's no other way for us to make that connection with God in heaven and us on earth than through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we truly believe. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus said. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he is that ladder. He is that ladder. Now listen to this. Nathanael said unto him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. In verse 50, Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? And he said to him, Most assuredly, now listen to this carefully, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. <laughs> He's the ladder. He's the stairway between God, between a holy God and sinful man. Between heaven and earth, Jesus is that stairway that Jacob had a vision of all those years ago. And now I think, I'm sure, that that's what Nathaniel was reading and thinking about. And Jesus, in effect, is saying, Nathaniel, what you were thinking about, it's me. I'm the Messiah. I'm that stairway you were reading about. It's me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the contact between heaven and earth. I'm the one. I'm the mediator between yeah, God yes, and men. Right. You see how that when God draws away the veil, 
how we can see more clearly. What place are you in this morning? Genesis 28 and 11. So he, Jacob, came to a certain place and he stayed there all night. Often it's only when we're in a certain place at a certain time and God moves in a certain way. Often it's only then that we can look back and say, God was in that place and I knew it not. <laughs> but he's opened my eyes. Often it's only when you look back that you can see this. So what place are you in today? Maybe you're in a place where you can feel nothing, see nothing, sense nothing. You've been praying and praying and praying. It seems as though the heavens are as brass. But be assured, beloved, be assured today that behind the scenes of your life, God is working things out. He is moving and he's shifting things around that you cannot even see or feel today. We walk by faith, not by sight. Thank God we do. Ah. Those disciples, they were toiling, they were rowing, the sea was boisterous, the little boat they were in was about to sink, it was filling with water. They were fishermen, they were seasoned, there had been many storms before, but not a storm like this storm. This was life-threatening. And where was Jesus? Well, he was up a mountain somewhere praying. He wasn't in the boat. They had no idea where he was. He was up some mountain praying. But they wanted him there. They felt if he was there, he would do something. But he's not there. He's up a mountain praying. And they're about to drown. And they're frightened. They feel this is the end. And surely they were thinking, the Lord's not here. He's not in this place. I wish he was, but he isn't. Can't feed him, can't see him, he's not here. But all the while, the Lord was up the mountain praying and he saw them. The Bible says he saw them toiling and rowing. He saw them in the spirit. He saw what they were going through. He saw their situation. And what did he do? He came on to them walking on the sea. Right to where they were. And he rescued them. He saved them. He caused their life to be spared. Thank God. Before that happened, they could have said like Jacob of old, surely the Lord was in this place, but I'd seen him not. I didn't know he was there. Yes, he was up the mountain, but he still saw us. He still was with us. Even though he wasn't there physically at that point, but he saw us in spirit, and he came right to where we were. Mary and Martha couldn't understand why Jesus wouldn't come when they sent for him. He whom thou lovest is sick. He's dying. Would you come and heal him? Mary and Martha couldn't think of one single reason why Jesus wouldn't come. I mean, he had been a, such a close friend of that family. He'd lived there and stayed there and ate there and slept there. He loved that family. He was only a day's journey away. There was nothing pressing he was doing. He could have come, but he didn't. He chose not to because he had a better plan. He had a bigger miracle to show them, hadn't he? And so they were afraid, they were despondent, probably a little bit angry, frustrated, and Jesus came without getting into that whole story. He raised that brother from the dead, didn't he? Such rejoicing, such a wonderful occasion. Those sisters must have wept with joy. But before he came and before he raised them up, 
Jesus knew exactly what they were going through. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly what he was going to do. He was in full control of everything in that situation. But as far as they were concerned, they could have looked back and said, surely the Lord was in this place and we did not know it. We didn't feel it. We didn't sense it. In fact, we were angry. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They were sort of chastening Jesus about that. But Jesus knew all along. He knew exactly what he was going to do. Glory to God. Peter, he's lying up on the roof of Simon the Tanner's home. A meal's been cooked below. And he's lying there just resting before the dinner bell would ring. And while he's sleeping, suddenly he gets a great vision. A vision of a great sheet that came down from heaven. And it was full of all kinds of animals and creepy crawlies and things that a Jew was unlawful to eat. It wasn't kosher. And the voice said, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. Not so, Lord. Uh, you know I can't eat that. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't eat that. And the voice said, That which I have cleansed, you better eat it. <laughs> I've cleansed it. And it came up and down three times. Three times. And what Peter didn't know was there was a Roman centurion called Cornelius who loved God and he loved God's people. He loved the Jews. Helped build a synagogue for them. And God sent an angel to that man and said, send for Simon Peter. He's at the home of Simon the Tanner by the seaside and he'll come and he'll tell you what you need to know. And all of a sudden when Peter gets this, and God said, there's three men and they're coming for you and I want you to go with them. Now it came to the door and it was the three men. So he knows this is God. He knows this is God moving and he has to obey. But for him to go to the house of Cornelius, for a Jew to go to a Gentile home was a big no-no. You just did not do that. But to go to a Roman centurion? But he knew this was the Holy Spirit. He had to obey. And he went there. And you remember what happened in Acts 10, how he began to preach to them? And before he even finished his sermon, the Holy Ghost fell. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues. He said, like us at the beginning, the day of Pentecost. And what he didn't know, that day he lay on that roof and he put his head back and started to sleep. What he didn't know was that he was about to change the history of the church. He didn't know that. Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He just was having a little nap before dinner. But God was about to change the history of the church because that was the door to the Gentiles was going to be wide open. The apostle Paul was the one who would be the apostle to the Jews, but Paul opened the door for Paul to go through and Boy, he did go through it. He really did. It became the greatest missionary advance that ever lived. But it was that moment with Peter and that vision and God speaking. It was to change the history of the church forever. Jew and Gentile would become one with Christ. The Lord is in your place today. Wherever your place is today, wherever you are today, your place, whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing right now, whatever situation that you have to face this incoming week, know 
that the Lord is in that place. You may not feel it, you may not see it, you may not sense it, but he is there. He's always there. He promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. He'll be with us even to the end. But I wanted to show you today that if you can't see it, you can't sense it, you can't feel it, still believe it because it's real and it's happening. There's a world out there that's more real than the world we live in. All this world we live in will pass away. Everything is temporal. It's be gone. It's always in a state of flux and change. But that world will never change, will never go away. It's here forever and forever. So God is working on your behalf today. Even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it, even if you say that, Jacob, the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. But whether you know it or not, I hope you know it today. I hope you see it today. He's in your place. Wherever your place is, he is right there with you. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that we can trust you with our lives. That nothing will happen to us today or tomorrow that you don't already know about. You're already in our tomorrows. You live in eternity, not in time. And so we thank you, Lord God. We thank you that behind the scenes of our lives that you're working all the time, bringing to pass your plans and purposes. So help us to realize that today. Help us to understand that you have ministering spirits working on our behalf, even as we sleep in our beds at night. So Lord, we thank you that you're in full control of everything in our lives. And we submit to you today. We give you our lives Lord, if there's somebody who's not saved listening to me today, I pray that today they will give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That they will hand their life over and say, Lord Jesus, take my life. Make of it what you will. Save me. Cleanse me from my sins and make me a believer. Make me a true Christian and help me to live for you every day of my life. So Lord, bless us as we part today. As we go into a whole new week, we pray, Lord, that your presence will be with us. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will guide us. And, Lord, that your goodness and favor will follow us all the days of our life. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we praise you and give you thanks in Jesus' name.